Just want to, if we could just put our hands together and give a big cheer for our friends that are watching the live stream and online at their homes and for our campuses in Maple Grove and Elk River. When I speak, I like to take a moment to saludar a mis amigos latinos en casa y para un minuto poner los otros incómodos. Uh, thank you for letting me greet all the Hispanic people in the house today and just let you feel a little bit uncomfortable for a second. Hey, in the bulletin, and we talked about it on the announcement video, we have this guys' night out coming up. Guys, if you're middle school and up, so uh, dad's in the room, and if you have middle schoolers and high schoolers, we want everybody to come out. This is going to be a really, really great night where we're going to have a, a good word that's given. We're going to have a time of worship, uh, grow spiritually, and then we're going to make some space for fun afterwards. So if you want to go out after the event and chew on what you heard at Perkins while you're chewing on some pie, you can do that. Or if you want to have some fun going bowling or, or doing whirly ball, you can do that too. That's coming up in just uh, basically a week and a half. We'd love for you to come out to that. Commercial, done. Today, we're wrapping up our series on the space between. Uh, a few weeks back, I had the privilege of wrapping up the series on the book of Daniel that we did over the summertime, and I started to get this idea in my head over the weekend that, hey, this is going to be good. Every time the people see me up front, they're going to say, Whew, we're finally done with this series and we're going to move on to something new. So today, we are just going back. We've been talking about the space between. And what that really means for us is that we believe, according to John chapter 10, verse 10, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but that Jesus came to give us life that is rich and satisfying. And we've been talking about the space between where we are today and that rich and satisfying life that God has for us. And what we're going to look at this morning is the space between related to fun. All right. I heard a couple of you. I heard that, yay. And what that means is that that person knows how to party. And then I also, I heard your silence, and I know that some of you internally folded your arms across your chest, and you said, fun, this is church. That's how you sound to me, by the way. Church isn't supposed to be fun. Hey, listen, here's the deal. This discussion has been going on for a super long time, and you can go back into Greek philosophy where you had these people who followed this stoic way of life that said, we're not going to have any fun while we're here on this earth because fun is for the afterlife. And then they were countered by these people on the other side. They, they kind of has a fun name to their philosophy was the Epicurean group. And the Epicurean people, they said, no, we're going to have so much fun right now because this is all there is and there's no afterlife. What I want to encourage you with today is that as believers in Christ that we get the best of both worlds because when Christ enters our life, when he makes us new, he invites us into a relationship of joy with him and we have it now and we have it forever with him. It never goes away. Amen. Amen. Now, uh, we're going to look at, start out today in Romans chapter 14 and there's nothing like good church people having good church people arguments. In Romans 14, they were talking about the different foods that they could eat and couldn't eat and the regulations that were involved with it. And, you know, today in our world, we might not be talking about that 
per se. We might be caught up in different discussions. Some of you, you probably came up growing up in church and, and you were taught and you were told to dress your best for Jesus. And so every Sunday you put on your best and when people don't, you look at them with judgment in your eyes. You know, they're not dressing their best for Jesus. And then there's other people that came up in a different school of thought. They, they came up in the school of thought that said, just come as you are. And so they show up just as they are. And to show you how good God is, there's people in the house today even wearing Packard jerseys. Whew. First service, they were sitting in the front row, and I felt this conviction from the Holy Spirit telling me I, I had to love them because God does too. <laughs> but the Apostle Paul addresses this in Romans 14, verse 17, and he says this. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He's basically telling us, look, you get so caught up in all the things that you should do, all the things you shouldn't do, the clothes that you're wearing, the clothes that someone else is wearing, and you get caught up in, in all these different things about what you think is super important. And he said, look, that's not the kingdom of God. What the kingdom of God is about is living a life of goodness, a life of joy, and a life of peace. That's what the kingdom of God is about. And when you look at that, goodness means that we are upright in heart. Goodness means that God has transformed us, that he recognized the fact that we, all of us, come from a place where we have contaminated sinful hearts that are far from him, and that he recognized that issue, so he sent Jesus to earth, and Jesus humbly came to earth in the most vulnerable way you could as a baby. He grew, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross to take our sins, and he gave us his perfection so that when God gives us a new start, when he makes us new, that he he looks at us as if we have right standing with him. And so the kingdom of God is about goodness. It's about the fact that he's given us the ability to be upright in heart. Now, when you start thinking about what God has done and how he's transformed your heart, isn't it a little bit harder to care so much about what somebody else is wearing, right? And then he says it's not just about goodness, it's about peace. Peace in this sense comes, you could look back into the the Old Testament where they use this word shalom or wholeness or harmony in everything. It, traditionally, people would use the word shalom when someone's coming as a greeting. They'd use the word shalom when someone's going on their departure. And it signifies that even the, in opposites that there can be this harmony and this wholeness in our life and that God desires a life for us that's full of harmony, that's full of peace, that's full of wholeness. And when we go, he's with us. And when we come, he's with us. That God goes with us everywhere and gives us this incredible peace. That's what the kingdom of God is about. The last one is joy. The kingdom of God is about joy and gladness. Come on, everybody say with me, joy. We're going to have fun today. I'm just going to set you up and let you know right now, we are going to have fun in God's house because the kingdom of God is about joy. That means that there's rejoicing in our hearts that there's because of what God has done for us that he's transformed us made us new freed us from the things that used to entangle us he's given us a new life that we can have joy in the depths of our soul and the scripture actually teaches in Galatians chapter 5 that when the spirit of God that draws us to Christ after we have relationship with them and are adopted into the family of God that that spirit fills us and when the spirit's filling us it's filling us 
with joy. And Galatians 5.22 says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. There's no law against such things. So the Spirit of God within us produces joy. Now, I'm going to counter a a thing that I've heard in church before in that I'm just going to get to this here. Uh, we have joy, but sometimes you find a person that has the joy of the Lord, but they have all the excuses why they don't have to be happy, why they don't have to be content, why they can act as if somebody has stolen their joy from them. So you have the person that's like, yes, Jesus saved me. He set me free, but, but I don't have to be happy. Some of you are quiet because it's you. Sometimes the scripture tells us that the spirit is filling us with joy and we want to just push, that, push against that so hard and we don't want to make room for any of that joy to fill our lives. And so we have this almost fight of God's joy overwhelming inside of our heart and we're going, ah, but I don't have to be content. I don't have to be happy. I don't have to. And we want to fight against it. The interesting thing is that Jesus in John chapter 16, he tells us that nobody can steal his joy from us. Nobody can steal his joy from us. I'll read you his words. He's about to go to the cross to pay the price for our sins. And he tells his disciples, he tells them this, I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering in the pains of labor When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. Friends, say this with me. Nobody can rob me of that joy. Now, there's some different types of Christian stereotypes I've come, come across over the years of attending church. You have your Debbie Downer Christian. You have your Bob the Bummer Christian. You have your negative Nancy Christian. You have your sad Sammy Christian. It's basically like the Christian Eeyore It's the person that comes to a church service where the Spirit of God moves in a powerful way. And they walk away from it going, yeah, but did you hear that the guitar player, he hit that wrong note on that one song and has just, you know, if he had practiced more, that wouldn't have happened. And the story they'll tell from a genuine move of the Holy Spirit in a church service will be the wrong note the guitar player played. Or it'll be, well, I don't like what Pastor Nate wore that day. And so instead of paying attention to what God is doing and the joy he's trying to deliver into someone's life, they're focused on the one little negative thing that they can find to latch onto and let that be the narrative for the day instead of the narrative of what God is doing amongst his people You have the yes, but people, and you have, yeah, but just one thing. And that one thing ends up taking 20 minutes to share instead of the whole thing of what God is doing. You see, I want to encourage you today as a church that humor is healthy. 
All right, you're tracking with me. I'm going to tell you right now, first service, they were with it this morning. I don't know what got into them, but those first service people, they woke up, they had their coffee, and they were ready to go. And so I thought this after that, said, you know what, if first service can be that excited about the scripture, surely second service people know how to party, right? Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 1 through 4 tells us there is a season for everything. There's a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance. You see, laughter comes out of a cheerful heart. In Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22, the word teaches us that a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. A cheerful heart is good medicine. You know, I was laughing. I remember back as I was preparing for this of a movie I'd watched years and years ago about this Englishman who comes from, you know, propriety and etiquette and all of that. And his friends basically told him that he had functioned in life as a coward. And so he went on this journey of self-discovery. He found himself in Africa with an African man guiding him, kind of helping him find himself. And one night there, as they're camping together, he, he laughs at, the Englishman laughs at something, you know, like a good, Um, white person would and just kind of (laughs) goes and the African tells him he says you laugh like an Englishman and it reminded me of Michael Jr. when he was here that he told us you know white people when something's funny they don't even laugh they just say that's funny (laughs) a good deep gut belly laugh is good medicine. I was reading online and I came across an article put out by the Mayo Clinic. And the Mayo Clinic actually uh, talks a great deal about the benefits of laughter. I know that there's some of you in the room today that church might be new for you and you're surprised that we're talking about fun in the first place. But I want to give you something from the Mayo Clinic that says, stress relief comes from laughter. A good sense of humor can't cure all ailments, but the data is mounting about the positive things laughter can do. I'm just going to hit a couple of the highlights here. Uh, There's some short-term benefits from laughter in your life. It stimulates the organs in your body, and it enhances your intake of oxygen-rich air, which helps your heart, your lungs, and your muscles, and it increases the endorphins that are released in your brain. Laughter activates your stress relief response. A good laugh fires up, then cools down your stress response. It can increase your heart rate and blood pressure. The result, a good, relaxing feeling. Laughter soothes tension. It stimulates the circulation and aids the muscles in relaxation. It also has long-term effects for you. If you can develop laughter in your life, if you can make space for it, It improves your immune system. Do you believe that? Negative thoughts, however, manifest into chemical reactions that can affect your body by bringing more stress into your system and decreasing your immunity. Think about that for a minute. 
When you're being pessimistic and negative, it actually affects the chemical composition of your body. Whereas laughter can even relieve pain. Laughter may ease pain by causing the body to produce its own natural painkillers. It increases personal satisfaction. It improves your mood. The Mayo Clinic gives some pointers on how you can increase laughter and humor in your life. They say put humor on your horizon. Find some comic strips. Find simple items such as photos or greeting cards or things that just make you laugh. It'll help you. Laugh. Find friends who enjoy laughter, friends who have good senses of humor, and enjoy laughter with them. You see, as I was reading this, I was kind of taken aback by it, and I was thinking, you know, well, if the... Oh, I got to read the last line. The last line's the best. I almost skipped it. It said, the title on the last said, laughter is the best medicine. Where do you think they got that from? Proverbs 17, 22, a cheerful heart is good medicine. Listen, if the Bible tells us it's good for us, and the Mayo Clinic tells us it's good for us, why is it so hard for some of us here in the room? Why is it so hard for us to enjoy ourselves and have joy? And actually, as a minister, there's been a lot of times where I've gone to the hospital and spent time with people who are pre-surgery or post-surgery. And I have this gift from the Lord that he has helped me to find humor in most every situation, which sometimes is a little bit problematic for me. Um, But... There's a lot of times when you visit someone in a spot like that and they'll say something like, oh, don't make me laugh. It hurts too much to laugh. And I thought, you know what? There's a spiritual application in that because outward joy, outward fun is a reflection of inward joy. And not being able to have fun can be a symptom of an internal issue in our hearts. You see, Luke chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus talks to people around him and he says, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. You see, what Jesus is teaching us is that what's on the inside of us always comes out. What's on the inside of us always comes out. And so if we're full of negativity and we're downtrodden and we're put out in our heart, that's what we're going to project onto the people around us. But if we're caught up in the joy of what God has done in our life and we're looking to and back at his salvation, at his restoration, at his reconciliation, at his goodness, at his peace, and that's what's welling up inside of us, there's nothing else that can come out of our heart than this joy. You see, what's inside always comes out. And let me just encourage you with this. And to be fair, we'll, we'll go here first because sometimes I know some of you are like, but there's dangers in fun. You're right. And I'm going to talk about those so you can listen the rest of the day. Dangers in fun, number one. Fun can be dangerous when it becomes what you live for, when it becomes your religion. We don't live for fun It's not our religion. Well, what does it mean for something to become your religion? Oftentimes, we just associate religion with church buildings and structures. Something becomes your religion when you are continually investing money into it, when you are continually investing your time to it, and when you participate 
in the rituals involved with it. But I'm not going to talk about football today. <laughs> Fun can be dangerous when we disengage from people around us and from God. You see, the danger can be with fun that we consider fun that moment where we get to disengage from everything around us and we actually try to unplug from God so we can go have fun in our little corner. But the reality is that, that just as God wants to participate with you in your workplace... God wants to participate with you in your home life. God wants to participate with you in joy-filled fun as well. And fun is also inclusive. It's not at the expense of others. And the reality is this, that satisfying fun is only possible through Jesus. Fun outside of Jesus is never fully satisfying and it's unfulfilling. Fun with Jesus is inclusive and full of love for yourself and full of love for others. Healthy fun builds relationships. One of the ways that we build friendships, like we talked about last week, is through the activities that we participate in with other people. We grow in relationship and friendship from spending time with others doing fun activities. As an example, it was a couple months back, our friend Gisela threw this party picnic thing at a park nearby. She invited a bunch of people, and at the picnic, there was this bag toss game. You know, the one with like the bean bag, and you toss it, and you try to get it into the hole. And there's some uh, gentleman from the church named Fred. Fred helps with our hosts in first impressions and campus life. And I thought, you know what, Fred, let's play this, this game. And I thought it would be fun to play with him. I am competitive. And so I also thought it'd be fun to win. And so we start, you know, tossing the bags. And I have this epiphany moment. Fred is super good at this game. And he's winning. And I said, and so I was, Fred, you're really exceptionally good at this. And Fred then volunteers to me, yeah, I was the slow pitch pitcher for 10 years. <laughs> hmm. It was a fun time with him, and we built this friendship that one of my longtime friends came over with another guy, and they're like, hey, can we join you guys and play? And my, my longtime friend was like, hey, we'll be on the same team. And I was like, no, I got Fred today. Um, he's, <laughs> he's with me. Um, Healthy fun is contagious. I have a friend that lives in Wisconsin. His name is Phil Nelson, and he's a huge Chicago Bulls fan. I'm a huge Minnesota Timberwolves fan. And so we decided one night that we would go to Buffalo Wild Wings. We'd get some food. We'd watch the game where the Timberwolves were playing the Bulls. And we got there. And the thing about my friend is he enjoys life so much that it just pours out over him. And so we ended up staying at Buffalo Wild Wings so long. But by the time we were done, we had not only built relationship with our server, we had contagiously spread that fun to other servers who came by our table, to the manager who came by and spent time with us. The cooks came out of the kitchen and were bringing us new menu items saying, hey, you guys got to try this. Healthy fun is contagious and it spreads to other people around us and that helps refresh us. Healthy fun also helps us through tough times. You see, a lot of times when things aren't going our way, we think, how can I enjoy this season of life? This past year, I started off the year reading a book by Viktor Frankl, and this is a guy who survived a Nazi concentration camp in World War II. And throughout his book, he talks about the search that you have for meaning in life, and especially in a situation like that that's as horrific as you could imagine. And 
he spent a good portion of time talking about how humor actually helped him hang on. Humor helped people hang on in the worst situations and the worst circumstances. And he told this story of how when they were working, they were they're always forced to say the word action. So whatever they were doing, their captors thought it would help them be more productive if they just said action, action, action as they worked. And one day he leaned over to his friend who was a surgeon in normal day life. And he said to him, you know, the problem is we're going to get out of here and you're going to be in the operating room with somebody on the table and the nurses around you. And you're just going to start yelling action, action, action. And here he is in the midst of this concentration camp telling jokes. But that humor is something in a healthy way that helped them hang on that life is more than their captivity. Uh, John Ortberg tells the story of uh, his son, when his son was young and his son had gotten into trouble. And so he put his son in a timeout over in the corner. And he looks over several minutes later as his son who's sitting in a timeout. And the son has the biggest grin on his face. And so John Ortberg asks his son, he said, what are you thinking about? And he says, dad, I'm playing cartoons in my head. <laughs> Try again, dad. <laughs> You see, fun helps us, healthy fun helps you not take yourself too seriously. It's easy in life to think that everything rests on us, everything depends on us, there's no room for fun or enjoyment because if I don't get this done, it's never going to get done. And fun is actually, in Scripture, a lot of times tied in with the Sabbath. And what that is, is it's a step of faith for us. It's a step of faith admitting that I can take time to enjoy myself with God because I know that he's got my stuff under control. And there's this old adage that sometimes we get into where people say, don't celebrate too early. You know, it's like the sports. If you grew up playing sports, you never celebrate until it's over. Well, where that doesn't apply is in the Christian life. We can celebrate early because we know that God goes with us. When you look into the Old Testament, they would celebrate and they would have feasts and they would celebrate the victories of God and they would remember what he had done. And it would also be this moment where all the people were together going, hey, look at what God has done, but look at what he's doing amongst us right now. And then it's this futuristic, faith-filled moment that we can feast and celebrate because we know that he's the God of tomorrow too. We can celebrate today because he's healed and saved us. We can celebrate now because he's moving amongst us. We can celebrate today because he's got tomorrow under control too. You see, God wants to participate in fun with us. I'm going to take you all the way back to the beginning of the book when God created. When God created, after everything he created, he said it was good. That word in Genesis, good, it could be translated to delight. It was full of joy. It was full of pleasure. You see, God had preexisted before the creation of the world in Trinitarian form, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in this joyful, pleasureful, uh, good 
relationship. And when he created, it wasn't out of being meticulous or it wasn't about of being analytical. It was out of the joy of his heart saying, I'm going to create this, this pleasure, joy-filled earth creation to participate in this beautiful, harmonious, whole, joyful relationship that the God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have. And he invites us into it. Actually, when he placed the man and the woman in the Garden of Eden, the word Eden could be translated delight. Delight being full of joy, being full of pleasure. And then Zephaniah chapter 3 tells us this in verse 17. For the Lord your God is living among you. He's a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He'll rejoice over you with joyful songs. What that means is that from the moment of your creation, when God formed you and put you together, he was delighting and overjoyed with you. He was full of pleasure in his thoughts of you, that he sings over you. Uh, One preacher described the word delight in this way. He said, have you ever been in the room where two ladies who haven't seen each other in a really long time catch eyes across the room? You all know what happens, right? The feet start moving. The hands start waving. The voice's pitch escalates to a tone that I can't mimic. And they just start going, ah! Listen, that is delight. That is delight. And when God sees us, he's delighted in us. He's full of joy when it comes to us. He sings over us. And what he's doing today is he's inviting you to participate in that. He's inviting you to sing back to him. He's inviting you to delight in him as he delights in you. You see, he's always the one making the invitation. He's the one that says, I delight in you so much. I created you to have this joy-filled, peace-filled, wonderful life with me. And would you participate in it? And his hands extended. He's got this delight. He's singing over us. And when we sing songs in church about the wonders of God, when we tell of his wonders, listen, we're just singing back to our creator as his creation. We're just singing back, God, you sing over me, I'm singing back to you. God, you've done such good in me, I'm going to proclaim your wonders in this room and all around the world. I can't keep it in this. It's like the prophet Jeremiah said, it says, fire shut up in my bones and I can't contain it. God, I'm singing back to you. God, I'm going to celebrate you. God, I'm going to spend time enjoying your presence as you want to spend time with me. The God of all creation enjoys and has pleasure in spending time with you. And he's inviting you to enjoy that time with him and participate in it. You see, when we participate and when we make space to enjoy ourselves with God, to have fun in God, we're doing it because we celebrate with joy what he's done. First and foremost, he gave me a fresh start. First and foremost, he healed my broken heart. First and foremost, he's done miracles in the past. We also look around the room today and we say, God, what are you doing today? You know, a lot of times we think we have to be really stoic when we come to church because it's serious business. But listen, uh, several times in scripture when the spirit was poured out amongst the people, they said these words, they said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. It wasn't the contemplative nature of being unemotionally 
attached is my strength. No, the joy of the Lord is my strength. That means joy equals God and God equals joy and that God on our side, he's going with us. We're full of joy about what he's doing and so we celebrate that today. We also look to tomorrow and we say, God, I know there's real problems in this world. God, I know there's stuff that's messed up around me. God, I know there's stuff in my life that I need your help with, but today I celebrate because I know that you have it. You have me covered. Friends, I'm going to invite you to do something with me today. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. If you're in your living room, you can stand to your feet too with us. You know, I spent a lot of years uh, working with teenagers, and I loved it so very much. And every so often you get to one of these holy moments at a summer camp where God had moved and people had been transformed in their hearts. And you know what we would do is we would take a moment to celebrate. We would acknowledge what God had done. We would acknowledge that, God, you're in the midst of this place. God, you're still doing miracles. God, you're still going with us. And I'm just wondering today here in this room, if we could take a minute and could we celebrate who God is in this place?